So as I mentioned um, last week and as I mentioned earlier, I love the month of October. It is one of my uh, favorite months of the year, partially because the weather finally cools down and we get some cooler temps and we see the, the um, leaves begin to change colors. But one of the reasons that my uh, favorite month is October is because our family has all sorts of different birthdays in October. Just this past week, we had five Five out of the seven days this past week between my husband's family and my family, we had five birthdays. So as you can imagine, I spent some time on the greeting card aisle. And I don't know about you, but I get pretty specific when I'm looking for a birthday card. I either need it to say all the things that I need it to say, or I need it just to say something funny. So one of the ones I saw said, four out of the five people get money on their birthday. And then you open the inside and it says, happy birthday, number five. (laughs) And then another one I saw on the front said, for your eyes only. And then you open it and it says, please, as you are reading this card, read with diligence, maybe wipe a tear from your eye, act as though it is really meaningful. I owe you one. Thanks. And then, of course, you've got your really sentimental cards. You know, one of my siblings gave my grandfather last Sunday a really sentimental card. And she said in the middle of it, she said, I, I didn't write a whole lot in it because I felt like the card said everything it was supposed to say. And my grandfather sat there just like the card I had mentioned a second ago. And he got really misty-eyed and read it. And, and he said, yes, yes, it says exactly what it needs to say. And none of the rest of us ever knew what it said. (laughs) So we're in this two-week series around community, and we're reading from the book of Romans. Romans is a book in our Bible that is a letter that is written to the church in Rome by a man named Paul. Last week, we read the first part of chapter 12 that talked about us being the body of Christ, this metaphor of being the body of Christ. So last week's was about who is part of our community. And what Paul says is that we are the body of Christ and not one piece of the body is more important than the other, that every part of the body is essential. Sharing with us that it's not only important for us to show up, but to show up with all of who God has created us to be. That's what makes the body of Christ function. So if last week was all about who community is for, This week is about how we create that community. So we're reading the second part of that chapter um, in Romans, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9. Let me get to it real quick. All right. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and pursue hospitality to strangers. So all throughout the letter to the Romans in the first 12 chapters to Rome, Paul is giving this beautiful, sophisticated theological explanation of what it means to follow Christ and to be the church. And then in chapter 12, it starts with this word, therefore. 
So what Paul is saying to us here in the, chap- the 12th chapter of Romans is, okay, so so what? So what does this mean to us? Therefore, be the body of Christ. Therefore, this is who this community is for. Therefore, this is how your community is supposed to look and live. And those first words that we read in chapter um, 12, starting in verse 9, let love be genuine. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. When I begin to read this very short passage, 9 through 13, what I begin to realize is that it seems sort of sentimental. It's almost as though Paul is giving us some punchlines to a good greeting card. Let your love be genuine. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, persevere. But there's something so much deeper going on in this scripture today. Paul is not just being sentimental. He is following some of the most ancient texts we have in Scripture. When he is talking to the people in Rome and telling them how to be a community, he is actually echoing back to a sentiment that we find at the very beginning of Scripture in chapter 2 of Genesis. We read the creation story in chapter 1, and we read a different version of the creation story in chapter 2. But what we read in chapter 2 is after God creates the heavens and the earth, God creates man. And then what does God say? It is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. What Paul recognizes in creating this community is something that God created us for in the very beginning, is that it is not good for us to be alone. We are not created to be alone. Loneliness is an epidemic, probably one that you have heard about for the past four years or more. What we find in our society today and in our culture is that loneliness, even before the pandemic, was an epidemic that was scanning across not only our elderly age, but across all generations and ages and stages of life. I think about the children who, for one reason or another, are separated from their parents or from their family. I think about the teenager who's wandering at night if they have any friends or how they're going to meet all the expectations that are put on them. I wonder about the college student that is trying to find community in a brand new place. I wonder about the new family who just moved in the neighborhood, who has the beautiful new house but doesn't know a single soul in town and how quiet it can get at night. I wonder about the person who just lost their job, who has to go and pack up their things by themselves, and that sense of community or identity no longer feels stable. I wonder about the person who just received an unwanted diagnosis, and how even though you are sitting with maybe a family member or the doctor or you're reading it on a screen, how lonely that can feel. The spouse who lost their partner and is living at a home by themselves, not knowing how to be in that space without their other half. Or the elderly person who is living in an assisted living place, looking for a community, reaching out, but not quite knowing how to get it. 
God says to us at the very beginning of creation, at the very beginning of scripture, that part of who we are is to be in connection to one another. It is not good for us to be alone. So when we hear Paul's words, and we hear Paul say to us, let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with mutual affection, outdo one another, don't lack in zeal, but be ardent in spirit, rejoice in hope, patient in affliction, persevere, contribute, and pursue hospitality. When we hear Paul's words about how to be in community, what we hear is Paul saying to us, it is not good to be alone. And if we are called to be connected, there is a way for us to do that that is Christ-like. Teddy Roosevelt has this very famous quote that is always striking to me that it was Teddy Roosevelt that said it. He's known for saying, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Now, this is Teddy Roosevelt, this very tough guy who is known for putting together these men called the Rough Riders and who is talked about as someone who is rough and strong. And he is the one who says that nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Friends, I believe at the heart of everything we do as a community, it's about caring. Caring for each other and caring for those outside the walls of this church. Now, if that may sound a little sentimental to you, I get that in the same way that if we only read Paul's words once and we don't put them on our heart, they can maybe just sound sentimental. Dr. Rochelle Stackhouse says this about Paul's letter. She says, it's not simply a greeting card slogan, but it is a call to costly discipleship. If you put these words in front of you this week, just these short verses, 9 through 13 of chapter 12, what does that look like for you? Because what we find is that this is actually a call to costly discipleship. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. There are many communities around us. The word community is probably even overused right now in our culture and society. But what makes a Christian community different? What distinguishes us? What sets us apart? It's in our name. It's in the name of this church, Christ. A Christian community is one that not only gathers together or comes together in order to care for one another, but we come together to care for one another in the same way that Christ cares for us. What Christ modeled for us, what Jesus taught us to do. Jesus allowed his life to be interrupted over and over and over again to be in relationship with people. Jesus talked to those who were highly intellectual and had a lot of power, and he also sat with a woman at a well who no one would talk to. Jesus called a man out of a tree who was ashamed to even talk to Jesus. And Jesus called a man out of a tomb who he called his dear friend. Jesus teaches us over and over again 
to let our love be sincere. I love this piece of scripture, but one thing that I wish was added to it that would be good for my modern ears that I have to say to myself as I read this scripture, especially in reference to understanding how we do community. I wish the words, some assembly acquired, were part of Paul's text. Do you ever just hear yourself exhale when you see those words? Some assembly acquired. Especially if you've ordered something online and you thought it came put together and it wasn't. And so now what you thought would be sitting in your house or be beautiful, you now have spent hours and hours on because it said these small words in fine print, some assembly are required. Love must be sincere. This is going to take some diligence on our part. It's going to take some consistent practice on our part. It's going to take some assembling on our part. Some assembly require. You see, a community is one that gathers together. It's at the core of who we are. As a Christian community, we gather together with distinguishing elements of Christ. But we assemble we come together. But I wonder sometimes what keeps people from coming together, coming into the doors of the church. What keeps a person from assembling with us, with a Christian community? Maybe that word shame, maybe that word vulnerability. If we think back once again to the very beginning of Scripture, after God creates man and woman, Adam and Eve, and the first what we call the original sin in chapter 3 of Genesis happens, what we hear is that they realize they are naked and afraid. Now, that word naked in Hebrew is translated as vulnerable. Adam and Eve realized they were vulnerable and afraid. Maybe one of the reasons that we need community and we need one another so desperately is because we are all vulnerable. We live in a vulnerable world. And when we're aware of it, each one of us feels vulnerable in very different ways. That word vulnerability has been another word like community that is said a lot these days by one of my favorite authors and speakers, um, Brene Brown. Uh, several, several years ago now, she really came to the scene by talking about vulnerability through a TED Talk that over 43 million people have viewed on YouTube. But what she says in that TED Talk about vulnerability is this that we cannot selectively numb our emotions. We shouldn't numb our vulnerability because we need community, but often we think that we can numb selectively the, the emotions that we do not want to deal with. She says, as a cohort in the U.S. history, we are the most in debt, the most obese, the most addicted, and the most medicated that the United States has ever been. And she says that part of the reason for this is because we spend an awful lot of time thinking that we can selectively numb certain emotions. 
We could selectively numb our fear. We can selectively numb our anger or our shame. But what she says happens in the midst of that is when we try to selectively numb or repress or not deal with the things we don't want to deal with, we also miss out on joy. We also miss out on gratitude. We miss out on purpose and we miss out on meaning. That's what community is all about. Some assembly required means bringing all of us, just like we talked about last week, not just showing up, but showing up with all of who we are. Because what happens when we don't bring the real parts, the vulnerable parts, the honest parts of our lives is that we then miss out on what community, and especially a Christian community like the church, has to offer us. Let love be genuine. Let love be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Paul is offering an opportunity for the community in Rome and an opportunity for us today to look once again and to see that this community is one that is founded and centered over and over again on a grace and a love that sometimes we can't comprehend on our own. We need each other not only to understand joy and gratitude and meaning and purpose, but we need each other to understand the abundant life that Jesus talked about. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. I have come so that you might have life and have it to the abundance, that you might have life and have it to the fullest. Jesus doesn't promise us a life that is easy if we're in community or a life that is free from all of those negative emotions or an ability to, to negatively or to select out the ones that, the emotions that we want to numb. Jesus says instead, if you want the fullness of life, the abundance of life, you've got to come with all of you. And my hope and my prayer is that what you'll find is a community of faith that is willing to welcome you love you the way that Christ loves us. That's the kind of community that Christ has called us to. This is why we need each other. This past week, I, um, I sent out in my uh, Friday email a poem written by Jan Richardson. Jan Richardson is an author and a poet that I go to over and over again. Her words um, and her books of poetry continue to speak to me. Uh, she's a woman who lost her husband to a terminal uh, cancer diagnosis, and in that chose to be really vulnerable and write through it. Now, I'm not someone who has lost someone close to me from a cancer diagnosis, but what I found and continue to find by reading Jan's words is that she's constantly connecting to me. By sharing her story, she's connecting to me. By being vulnerable about where she is, she connects to me. And she wrote several years ago um, a poem called A Blessing Called Sanctuary. And when I looked it up the other day to send it to you on Friday, I thought, gosh, this is so good. I just need to share it with you one more time. Here's what she says in it. You hardly knew how hungry you were to be gathered in, to receive the welcome that invited you to enter entirely. Nothing of you foreign or strange, nothing of your life that you were asked to leave behind or to carry in silence or in shame. 
Tentative steps became settling in, leaning into the blessing that enfolded you, taking your place in the circle that stunned you with its unimagined grace. You began to breathe again, to move without fear, to speak with abandon. The words you carried in your bones that echoed in your being, you learned to sing But the deal with this blessing is that it will not leave you alone. It will not let you linger in safety or status. The time will come when this blessing will ask you to leave, not because it has tired of you, but because it desires for you to become the sanctuary that you have found, to speak your word into the world, to tell what you have heard with your own ears, seen with your own eyes, known in your own heart, that you are a beloved, precious child of God, beautiful to behold, and you are welcome and more than welcome here. Some assembly required. It's important for us to gather personally, so that we can be real with each other, so that we are not self-selecting and numbing, but instead being honest about where we are and who we are and choosing to walk together as a family of faith. That's discipleship. Jesus' disciples did not walk alone. They gathered together. Some assembly required for us as a community Not only for the feelings that we feel, can you hear yourself in these words? That moment when you felt known, that moment when you felt like you belonged or that you could sing again or that you could be who you are. And then she does this really mean thing where she says the time will come where this blessing will ask you to leave. Not because it is tired of you, but because it desires for you, desires for you to become the sanctuary that you have found. My hope and prayer for this community right here in this room is that we not only feel sanctuary and refuge for ourselves in this place, but that it so calls us back out into the world, back out into our lives to help someone else find that same sanctuary. To build our lives upon your love, it is a firm foundation. Put our trust in you alone, not be shaken. Over and over again, Jesus says these unkind words to us, you have to go. In what's called Ascension Sunday, after the resurrection, Jesus appears back to his followers for 40 days, and then he ascends into heaven. And I imagine the disciples and the followers that are looking at him are looking up at Jesus' feet as he is floating up in the clouds, wondering, what am I supposed to do next? And Jesus says, you know, some assembly required. If there was a greeting card for this community... My prayer is is that on the front it says, welcome. And on the inside it says, some assembly required.